Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Josh Norris as we discuss the Yankee system here today. Josh has done the Yankees for many, many years now. Wrote up Aaron Six Judge. Six years, I think. Aaron Judge, Luis Severino, Glaber Torres, all the guys that have come up, Miguel Andahar, all the guys that have come up and helped make the Yankees great again. Josh has been on them for, uh, for quite some time now. Uh, Josh, this is a system that is not quite as crazy good as it has been in past years, but for the right reasons, because they've graduated guys successfully to the majors. Well, uh, for the right reasons and some of the wrong reasons, I'd say this top 10 is full of guys that are either a long way away or had lost seasons because of injury, etc. Um, yeah, it's a very, very futures-based uh, system. It's, it's a couple guys here at the top, a couple arms in Sheffield and Lois Sega, who are you know ready to help now and did help a little bit this year. Um, and Lois Sega is the... Um, helped the most this year. Sheffield got a little taste at the end, but uh, other than that, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who pit played mostly at A-ball. I mean, Davey Garcia got one start in triple or double A, and Michael King made it all the way to triple A. But predominantly, that's an A-ball and below system, or at least top ten. And I will say, I think it's an okay place to be. If that's, your, if that's where you are and your team is older veterans and you're 75 and 87, it's not where you want to be. But when you've got a lot of young guys in the major leagues, you are consistently winning 90-plus games, it's okay because they need help, and they are going to get it from a couple of pitchers, in theory at least. But it's not like this is a... It, it, again, I feel like it's not a terrible thing. This is where they are. It's just kind of facts of life, competitive at the major league level, and have to wait on some of the prospects to be ready. Yeah, I mean, like they, there are a lot of international guys, too, um, that are just, you know, Cabello got into the system after last year's handbook went to press. So there's a reason he wasn't in the 30 last year. Uh, I think they signed him two days before Christmas. Uh, Everson Pereira turned, he made his pro debut uh, outside of the uh, in a setting that counts when he was 17 and two months. Uh, Anthony Siegler was in high school when the, the handbook went to press last year. Uh, where we've got uh, Davey Garcia, who started the year and extended and ended in AA. Roancy Contreras started the year and extended and ended it in Charleston. Uh, like I said, it's a very young system. Absolutely. I do want to talk about uh, the guy at the top, Justice Sheffield. He did everything he was supposed to do, right? He got started back in double a went up to triple a pitched to a sub three era made the futures game made his major league debut what can yankees fans realistically expect justice sheffield to be at the major league level based on all the research and reporting you've done it depends on if he continues to make progress in the areas that he needs to he needs to command his fastball better he needs to show separation between his off-speed pitches and his fastball he can't go full bore every time and expect hitters at the major league level 
not to pick up on the similarities in velocity. He needs to add more depth to the slider, which you know showed in spurts. I think if he does all those things on a consistent basis, you could be talking about a guy who's maybe a three starter. If not, you're looking more at a back end type or a reliever type. Um, you know, he he. I wouldn't worry about the fact that he debuted as a reliever. That was more to see if he could help them in that role down the stretch. Uh, that role went to Stephen Tarpley ultimately, at least into the playoffs. Um, so there's there's still a little bit of development to do with Justice Sheffield. Um, he's close, but I wouldn't say he's there yet. I think he'll probably wind up back in AAA to start the year. I am assuming the Yankees will add some sort of starter in some form or fashion from outside the organization uh, this offseason. So I don't know how many spots will be available come, you know, February. Well, we always know with pitchers, they go down and sometimes they regress. So I think as long as he makes the steps he should, I think it's reason it would be reasonable to assume he'll get a chunk of starts in New York next year. I mean, he'll get a shot at that. I mean, this is a, an organization that's going to have a lot of money available to spend with guys coming off the books and the tax rate resetting. They are going to have the ability to go buck wild if they want to. Um, and, you know, if you're a Yankee fan, you know that sometimes they do that. <laughs> Less so under Hal Steinbrenner than his dad. Right. Uh, but this year you're, you're going to have, I think, you watch for a guy like Patrick Corbin to be uh, on their radar. And I wouldn't be surprised if they use some of this system to deal for someone that we might not expect at this point. Who might? I mean, uh, the Diamondbacks have been reported to want to put you know, a, a, a yard sale sign up, and Zach Granke could be a guy that they would you know, empty the farm for and take on whatever salary is remaining. There's no question the Yankees are not going to stand. Pat, you, you know they need starting pitching. I know they need starting pitching. They know they need starting pitching, and I would fully expect them to go get it as aggressively as they can. Although we have seen, and, and this is one thing the Yankees have really excelled at, we talk about every team who's ever been successful has done two things. They have brought up prospects as a core, but they've also traded prospects. And figuring out which ones to keep and which ones to trade can make or break a franchise's future success if they make the wrong calls. The Yankees historically, at least under Brian Cashman, which have, has been, he's been the GM for most of my adult life, all of my adult life as a matter of fact, have been very, very, very good about discerning this is who we keep, this is who we trade. In terms of the next steps, you mentioned so many of these guys are so far away. Who for you are the keepers in this system right now? You know, I don't generally believe in no trades, or untouchables, at all. Well, the example I'll give is at last year's winter meetings, Cashman discussed that they were engaged with the White Sox about Chris Sale. They said the price was oh, Louis Severino. So at last winter meetings, he said that during the 2016 winter meetings, they were talking about it. And he had mentioned at that point that the price was Luis Severino and Aaron Judge. They said no. As much as Chris Sale has been a stud, you feel pretty good about the Yankees saying no to that trade. Right, and I don't think they have anybody of that caliber that is near. I don't, if, you, if the price for someone like a Sale or a Bumgarner or a guy like that is there and your cost is Sheffield and Floreal, then send them on over. That's easy. And that's, that's the interesting Depending aspect. on, you know, what you see on the medicals and contract stuff and all that, but 
you know, if, if you can get an ace for those two guys, go ahead. With, with regards to, you know, the system, you mentioned those are the top two guys and you feel comfortable trading them for, for that veteran. The guy who came up last year, Jonathan Loisiga, who had long had stuff, had a terrible injury record, came up, did well to start with, and then September, the wheels kind of fell off. They were pitching him out of relief, which makes a little bit of a difference, different roles. Where do you see him fitting into the Yankees, both short-term and long-term, and can he be trusted to stay healthy enough to actually be a starting pitcher over a 162-game season? I think he's got the upside of a mid-rotation starter. He's, when he was healthy, you know, before uh, he went down with the shoulder barking, his stuff was as good as a lot of guys in that rotation, not named Luis Severino. Uh, you know, he showed a, pl- a fastball up to 98, uh, a really good changeup, and a decent breaking ball. Those were all there. Now, he went down again with the shoulder, and then he came back and wasn't as good. But if he's healthy, he can fit, he can start for a major league team at a championship level. I think he's got a very big upside, but you know, he's had shoulder problems with the Giants. He had shoulder problems with the Yankees. He's had Tommy John surgery. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a scary, scary injury record. And again, we'll see if it, it can withstand. One of the most fascinating guys to me in this system, and we talk about fascinating guys, a lot of times a guy at the lower levels who kind of excites or someone who flashes big tools but doesn't really put it together. The Yankees intriguing guy is the opposite. He's a guy where nothing's sexy, but gosh darn, he performed, and his name was Michael King. I mean, I consider fastball command sexy. Yes, <laughs> I would. I would say the casual looking for the lighting up the radar gun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So with with Michael King, a, what is your view of him and scouts him, and b, how, is it real and repeatable at the major league level? Boy, you know, he is. In the six years I've done this system, I think he has given me the widest range of outcomes. <laughs> I've heard anything from seventh inning reliever to Roy Halladay light. <laughs> so it was tough <laughs> to figure out what he is. Um, he's a guy who will attack the strike zone with a, a, cutter, a cut fastball that he added in AAA this year and a two-seam fastball uh, to what one person said they, he can use to create X's in the strike zone which is very helpful. Uh, a changeup that could be swing and miss at times. A slider that is maybe a tick below that. And it's really hard to argue with the results that he had this year. He annihilated high A. He did the same at double A. He didn't miss a beat at triple A. I think this is a guy who's gonna get a long look in spring training um, and you know, possibly have a chance to be that kind of back end four starter type. Uh, if you're gonna split the difference on the opinions from seventh inning guy to Roy Halladay light, uh, you're left with like a four starter, and that's a pretty darn good get for Caleb Smith and Garrett Cooper. Absolutely, you know, and with with Michael King, what's been impressive too is, yes, he's a late round guy, twelfth rounder, but he's a 2016 draft, got to AAA 2018. He's not been a guy that's slow moving. He's not been a guy that scuffled and then maybe figured something out where you can still be skeptical of it. Got into the major, got into the pro ball, as you mentioned, the Marlins system. His first full year was not bad. It wasn't incredible. He was still a, a college pitcher pitching in low A, which you always want to have a little bit of pump the brakes on. But 
again, he's moved pretty quickly and the durability as well. This isn't someone who showed it to you over, oh, it was a pretty good 90 innings, 100 innings. Pitched 161 in the third innings this year, 149 a year ago. There's some durability there, which sometimes that we see a lot. That's half the battle. Yeah, he led the system in strikeouts. I think it was 152 was the number. Um, you know, what, what also people tell me about him is that he is incredibly studious and well-prepared. He keeps notes on hitters when he's not starting in a little binder that he has. He goes, he, you know, he's prepared to a fault almost. He knows how he wants to attack them, and he does it. And, you know, I got to see him once here in Durham. Uh, unfortunately, it rained, but, you know, he, he had the Bulls hitters. He had the Governor's Cup champion Bulls hitters number for, what was it, like four innings before it rained. You know, in, out, up, down, change eye levels, change speeds. And he made a good lineup look pretty average. You mentioned pitch execution, and sometimes I think when people are just focusing on okay, how much movement is there, velocity, all of which matters a lot, don't get me wrong. But I think sometimes that ability to know what you need to do and do it to perfection 70 times, 80 times, 100 times over the course of a start, that's a rare, rare gift and something that does separate the major leaguers from the minor leaguers. Yeah, he's, he executes his plan and he did it pretty darn well at three levels this year. He made, you know, that, there were starts where he went against uh, your uh, New Hampshire lineup that had Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Harold Ramirez, who won the Eastern League batting title in there, and he struck him out. I think he struck out 11 guys over nine one-hit innings, a complete game shutout, which you don't see too often in the minors. Dude had two complete games this year, I think. There's, again, the durability is, is really, really impressive. Uh, yeah, two complete games, but you do not see that often from minor leaguers. So Josh, you have this 10. I have to ask, in a system where so many young guys far away, a couple guys moving up a little bit, how many guys were really in consideration to be in this 10? 12 or 13. And at what point were, I mean, how many of these guys that made the 10 were like definitively in the 10? Eight. Okay, so the back two. Uh, back two or so, yeah. One guy that's an interesting and you'll have to check out BaseballAmerica.com to find out if he made the final cut, made the 10 or not, is Albert Abreu. Mm -hmm. Someone that was very, very promising, highly rated, acquired from the Astros in the Brian McCann deal. What, again, just to fill everyone in, A, what happened this year, and B, what are the evaluations of him now? Well, to start the year, he needed his appendix out. And that cost him, I forget how long, but it cost him, it delayed the start of his season. And then at some point in mid-season, his elbow started barking, and that cost him some time too. Uh, he didn't do particularly well in his rehabs in the GCL. Those are some ghastly numbers for the GCL rehab assignments. But um, when he's healthy, you still see a fastball that touches 100 miles an hour. You still see a plus or better curveball. You still see a changeup that's right there. He's young. He still needs to command all those pitches better. He needs to learn to dial it back a little bit at times. I know it sounds like a broken record talking about him and Sheffield that way. Uh, but the raw ingredients are as good as any arm in this system that is, you know, at in full season ball at this point. So, you know, he 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 was on the fringes of it, of the top ten. Um, there was a late decision to either add or remove him. Go to BA.com to find out. 
Uh, and you know, his, his ceiling is still very high. I, when I do my rankings, I tend to bet on ceiling rather than uh, whether the player is a safe bet or not. I'm, I like to shoot the moon with young guys. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and he's one of those guys who is going to have a pretty high ceiling. Whether he gets there or not is, you know, years off. But uh, it was a wild card in that uh, McCann trade. And, you know, right now it's a, a scratch it with two cherries showing in that last, <laughs> last window to scratch off. You're killing it with the metaphors today, man. We should send you back to Arizona more often. You come back with, uh, with some, some really interesting uh, comparisons for human yeah. beings. <laughs> I love it. Well, Josh, thank you so much. Oh, for we're not. We're, we're done. I got some more here. I mean, we can keep going. We well, can talk about some other guys here. Let's. I want to talk about David Garcia a go, little bit. Go ahead, dude. Uh, David Garcia. I think I, we ranked him 18th in our system last, or in our system in the Yankees system last year. Um, and you know, he <laughs> he struck out 14 per nine this year or so. Maybe he's 13 per nine. But he's a shorter guy, 5'11", I think 170, if you're generous. And he comes with a low 90s fastball that has touched, I think, 95 this year. And a curveball is spins at 3,000-plus RPMs. Uh, and a changeup that's it's getting there. It's, it's coming along. It's not quite the, the curveball. But he, yeah, he, they, they wanted to work on some stuff in spring, uh, extended spring with him in terms of uh, making sure the arm slots were consistent on all his pitches. And it looks like it worked. So when he got to uh, low A, he did really well. You know, he struck out everyone. When he got to high A, he not only struck out everyone, he's going to go down in 2000 minor league, 2018 minor league infamy for pitching seven perfect innings and not getting a decision. Uh, he pitched a game where Tampa did not give up a hit or a walk and lost. So, <laughs> Oh, that's right. That was the, uh, the extra yeah, inning yeah, yeah. rule. They put a runner on second, and I think it was like, uh, an error that got him home or something. There was, it's a tangent here. There's a couple of quirks this year. They had that. You had a two-pitch inning, thanks to that rule. Uh, you had, uh, I think, four, three or four runners got, no, three runners got on base with four pitch, or with one pitch thrown, two intentional walks, and uh, uh, a triple. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, he was... Minor league weirdness. Yeah. Hashtag... Puts a new perspective on hashtag YCPB, you can't predict ball. No. The minor league level, that takes an extra level of weird. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, he was involved in that, and then he moved up to Trenton for his final start of the year and went five one-hit shutout innings with eight strikeouts to clinch the Eastern Division for the Thunder. So that's pretty good for a guy who's still in his early 20s. Um, and then I could talk about Antonio Cabello a little bit. Like I said, they got him after the book went to press, so he was in the appendix, but not a Yankee at that point. Uh, he's a converted catcher who is playing center field now. So basically they said, you know, you have a 7-8 runner here behind the plate. You probably are wasting him there. <laughs> so you put him out in center field and see what he can do. And all he did was, I think it was like an 870 ops in the GCL. He was a, really strong. He made our classification all-stars. As a 17-year-old, unfortunately, his season ended... Uh, when he dislocated his left shoulder uh, on a diving play and had to have surgery on it, um, so that he wasn't in instructional league. Uh, but you know, he's he and Anthony Garcia, who struck out 40% of the time but hit 10, 11 home runs in the GCL, also 17 years old, and Roberto Chirinos, an infielder with 70 arm at shortstop, uh, all 17 years old, all made their debut stateside. 
uh, Garcia, as a matter of fact, Anthony Garcia, got to Pulaski, I believe, for the last couple games. And you know, it, it, that's when I, when I say the system is far away, we're talking about, seven, we're talking about three 17-year-olds, and we didn't even talk about the other 17-year-old, Everson Pereira, who, got, who played his entire season at Pulaski and you know, didn't beat the, beat the, you know, fill up the stat sheet very well, but he didn't, certainly didn't get the bat knocked out of his hand. But he held his own for the entire year at 17 years old, and he'll be 18 all year next year and might wind up in Charleston to start the year. So just to play devil's advocate here a little bit, the Yankees have had some very, very promising international talents that we've heard about at the, in the extended levels, the GCL levels, even Pulaski. When they've gotten the full season ball, they've really, really struggled. You look at you know, Wilkerman Garcia and Dermis Garcia were both guys at various points. Got to Charleston this year. The numbers ranged from meh to ugly. The reviews were pretty much across the board ugly. What separates these guys and makes you know gives faith that they will be better than maybe some of these other guys? Cabello is as polished a hitter as you will find at that age, not named Guerrero or Soto. You know, he, his numbers outside of the batting average were his on base and slugging were comparable to Soto at the same level, at uh, the same age, which I thought thought was very interesting. Garcia could very well be uh, the next Dermis Garcia who had similar power at a similar age, different position, but and now Dermis is going to be, uh, or they're trying to, p to pitch him now. Um, he very well could be. 40% strikeout rate is alarming. Um, but, you know, in, in the views I got of him, it wasn't a whole lot of chasing. It was swinging through pitches in the zone, which you can take that either way. You could say he should be hitting some of these, or you could say he's got an idea of the strike zone. It's just a matter of refining that swing path. Um, you know, Torinos, I think, has the lower ceiling of those three. He's, he's a defensive shortstop um, who might hit enough to, to be respectable, but, you know, it's, he held his own this year in the GCL. And we didn't even mention Rainford Salinas, who they swear, or, or people inside the organization say, has a higher ceiling than all of them. He just didn't get on the field this year very often. He had, like, a broken or some sort of ring finger injury, and I don't remember what the other one was. He had a couple injuries that kind of limited him, but Salinas was very high uh, on their pref list in that class. They, he signed the same time as Cabello. It's interesting. A lot of these guys you're mentioning are coming out of their international program. The Yankees drafting has been, you know, mixed recently, right? I mean, you go back, it's, it's kind of amazing. Aaron Judge was the hit of hits, and if you're only going to hit on one of seven or eight, that's a pretty big one to hit on. But you go back, Cito Culver, Dante Bichette, Ty Hensley, Ian Clark, and then you go judge. But Eric Jagailo traded, Kyle Holder, still in the minors, Caprillion and Rutherford traded, both have some questions as to how much impact I mean, they're really going to have. Caprillion hasn't been on the mound in a game that counted since 2016. And thus, there's a lot of questions about how much impact he'll really ever have. Um, you know, Clark Schmidt, TJ, we'll see how that, how that recovers. But it's interesting, the Yankees have built this really, really excellent team through international, through savvy trades. And again, Judge is a huge hit. They have not drafted overwhelmingly well this past decade. And it seems like just given the makeup of the top 10 of this system, again, it's, it's similar. The next wave is gonna be similar to the past wave, which is heavy international, maybe not a lot coming from the domestic draft side of things. You know, uh, uh, we didn't talk about Anthony Siegler, who you know, obviously there's no 
verdict on him just yet. He had an okay pro debut, uh, an interesting background, switch hitter, switch pitcher. Uh, he had some problems this year. He had hamstring injuries that uh, cost him some time and a concussion that cost him some time. But, you know, they believe that this is a guy who can be a true catcher with six-plus defense, maybe a seven-arm, uh, doubles power, maybe 10, 15 home runs a year. But another tangent here, power is extremely hard to project these days. Yes. <laughs> extremely. Uh, if you, uh, I'll go back to Jose Ramirez. If you told me Jose Ramirez, who hit 13 home runs as a minor leaguer career, was going to hit 38 this year, I don't think I don't think anybody. I don't think his agents. I don't think his mother. I don't think his. I don't think he. If you had put a a game of Mario Kart on it, uh, <laughs> would have told you he would hit 38 home runs this year. Power is so hard to predict given the the, the what's going on with the baseballs. Uh, better lighting, better access to to advanced scouting, better access to video, any number of factors. Just general body maturity at that point. These guys are getting up there younger and younger. I mean, a guy like Juan Soto might still have some man strength to come, and that's kind of scary. But uh, the po point being that Sigler is, uh, is an, a guy that they're hoping for big things from on the draft side, and I think they're very well aware of their draft misses, especially high uh, lately. The, I mean, for a while, I think when I got here, their last regular to come from the draft was Brett Gardner. And, you know, Ian Kennedy had some success. But I'm in position players. Oh, position range. players, yes. Yeah, uh, Phil Hughes did too uh, as the job. I mean, Phil Hughes had a 10-something big league year career, depending on if he's going to come back at some point. Yeah, he's, hey, he pitched last year. If he, see, he seems very happy to tweet and, you know. Uh, great, great Twitter follow, by the way. He might, as Brandon McCarthy retires, Phil Hughes might be the next guy if he stays around for another couple years or two. Pump the brakes here. Brandon McCarthy's a good He's twi on his own level, I agree. Right. I'm just saying <laughs> Phil Hughes, he's got, he's got game on right. social. Right, right. Um, yeah, their, their system is a lot of international guys and a lot of trades. Donnie Rowland and his crew have done an excellent job at identifying some of these low dollar signs, low, relatively low dollar signs. Uh, Severino got six figures. I believe Andujar got six figures instead of seven. Sanchez got three million or so. Um, a lot of these guys, Roancy Contreras didn't get a big, big amount of money. Davey Garcia didn't get a big amount of money. You know, those, uh, those guys, didn't get a huge amount of Floreal didn't get a huge amount of money. Uh, we haven't talked about Luis Medina, who has probably the highest upside of any of their arms in their system, but he had a year, a ghastly year, in which he you know, walked a ton of guys and gave up a ton of hits. But you're still talking about a, a guy who has a triple-digit fastball and a curveball that's well above average, if not double, uh, if not a seven. So, and once he command, if he can command it you're talking about something very special. But there's a long way to go. It just was a bad year at Pulaski. This is a long way of saying, yes, this system is very international and it's very right-handed pitching. It is a, t I, could do, I could do a legitimate 30 right-handed pitchers. <laughs> uh, I could do a legitimate 30 international guys. But um, yeah, that's, that's the way this system is. Last year, uh, outside of Torres and Andujar, who obviously did Great things at the minor league uh, in the major leagues this year. Uh, both should be around the rookie of the year conversation. You're going to have your Otani's of the world in the top three. It could be him and Wendell and Andujar and Torres in the American League side. Obviously, Otani won our rookie of the year. Go read the story at baseballamerica.com. 
Written by yours truly. Yes, he wrote it. Um, yeah, the system's very international. It's very right-handed. I've been rambling. <laughs> it's all good. Well, I think we'll, we'll wrap up with that ramble. If, uh, if you, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, go ahead and check out the Yankees Top 10 online at BaseballAmerica.com right now. Pick up a copy of the issue. Josh knows the system uh, as well as anyone who does not work for the Yankees and probably even a little better than some people who do work no, for the Yankees. No, that's not true. That's 100% <laughs> hey, not true. I'm trying to talk you up, man. Come on. No. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll about do it for today. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.